Welcome back to the Super Sapiens podcast, where we explore Super Sapiens metrics, the app features and experience, and how Super Sapiens around the world are driving the next step in human performance evolution. Homo Sapiens, meet Super Sapiens. Uh, the first two weeks in Switzerland, I was almost give up. Like, this is not for me. This is like too hard, cold. Uh, the race is different in Europe, uh, small roads. There was so much challenge and com- completely different compared to African cycling because I was doing before I come to Switzerland, I was doing through Amisabongo and uh, through Rwanda and some African championship. These races are completely different compared to European races. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this episode of the Super Sapiens podcast. I'm your host, Zylan Fonek. Joining me is my co-host, David Lipman. David, how are you? Good, thank you, mate. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. This is a very special episode to me. We are talking to Scarborough Gromet, the very first professional cyclist from Ethiopia to make it to the Tour de France. Scarborough and I um worked together when he was turning professional and it was very meaningful to me to to see how far he's come and how far he's gone and on the way to the Tour de France once again and this was a very special chat and he took us through his journey which was awesome don't know what you thought of it I mean I really enjoyed it it was a great chat really interesting insight and um yeah I've done a bit of reading since not so much about this but about other things that are yeah I guess quasi related and I think him sort of showing people that it's possible showing people from ethiopia they can do this is a really big step forward for cycling and cycling in ethiopia so it's really cool to see and uh, i think he's racing the dauphine did you say that to me yeah while we're recording now he's racing the criterium de dauphine did quite well in the early stages um so it's generally um athletes going to the tour de france they either use this race or they use tour de suisse as the last prep for the dauphine he's opted for this one in france which is the same organizer as the tour de france puts this race together so going well there so hopefully good omen for the tour yeah that'd be cool be cool to to see him do well there um make some bigger waves than he has done at the tour so um yeah before we get to Scarborough's interview, is the pod turning one, David? Is this the episode that we're putting out since... T- is the first episode we're putting out since since turning one? It is. It is indeed. <laughs> Look at the big smile on your face. What is that about? <laughs> You're happy. I'm just like... No, I'm reflecting on like uh, the milestones of a toddler, uh, of a one-year-old, what it would be doing. If it was a, if it was a human, it would be walking and, and you know making some... Uh, early talking sounds so it just feels appropriate for the podcast to say that that uh yeah maybe the podcast is walking a little bit uh, now i just can't believe they've kept us on for a year talk about your marathon running pb all the time I and mean, it's all we talk about can't believe it lol lol let's watch our social media if this has if it hasn't come out before this episode to see what we talk about more mate my marathon <laughs> or something else <laughs> Yeah, check us out on Instagram, uh, Super Sapiens Inc. At Super Sapiens Inc. Got a bit of fun there, having a look at the last year of the podcast. Before we get into Scarborough's episode, um, a couple of community shout outs. Thank you so much for Owen Roberts. I think he's in Wales. Um, reaching out to us saying he's really enjoyed listening to the podcast and he started his Ironman journey. So what David was referring to there before me talking about my Ironman journey actually inspiring people there you go thanks for for reaching out owen roberts and sticking it to david man i mean all i've got to say is he, he clearly isn't he's clearly not here for the comedy or he would have messaged me 
Very good, very good. He's also doing it, um, doing his Iron Man journey for charity, so super cool. Um, some more news in the Super Sapiens sphere. Last week, we welcomed Marley Blonsky as an ambassador to the company. She's the co-founder of All Bodies on Bikes, so go check out. Really, really inspiring story. And then your mate, David, I can't believe you have friends, but Marco Altini, the founder of HRV for Training app. Um, what has he been up to? Uh, well, he's been up to a lot. He's about to race 100K. So he raced 100Ks in two days. Um, so uh, thoughts go out to actually to his um, hometown uh, and the race that he was meant to be doing, the 100 kilometer del Pastore, but there's been some serious flooding in Italy. So he hasn't been able to do that. He is thankfully running another 100K. Um, him and his wife, both of them are running it. Uh, I think starts Friday and this will be released on Monday. So fingers crossed he's done well there um, and, and all's going well. But he... Writes a Substack, um, so just search Marco Altini Substack and you will find it. He released an article maybe two days ago now, or yesterday even, so Tuesday the 6th of June or so, uh, on CGM and HRV and sort of what that looks like, which is really cool. Um, it's something I've been pestering him about for a while because he's got a data science background and he's been using some sensors. So, uh, yeah, really cool to see that. It's a cool piece. Um, so, yeah, go check that out and check out his Substack in general if you're interested in HRV. I know you use his app, uh, Zylan. I do as well. Uh, big fan. So thanks, Marco. I am a big fan. Um, leading up to my latest race, Durban 70.3, that I just completed, I had eight days of flu I was going through. And two days before actually feeling ill, waking up and feeling ill, my HRV was telling me that I wasn't in great shape. And it just, it just blows my mind um, at that level of technology, you know, that you can sort of have that help around you and it can help you inform you to make good decisions. So cool, man. And uh, mate, how did the 70.3 go? How did Devin go? I don't know how to answer that. Um, I think it went well. I'm trying to only take positives from it. The swim, you know, I had a few panic attacks in the water despite, I don't know, this was maybe my 10th 70.3. Um, you know, I've done 10 Ironman, I mean, four full Ironmans and still the brain is a fascinating thing. Like, why would I have a panic attack in the water? I don't know what you medical people call it. I do have an obstruction um, in the airways into my lungs. So breathing isn't easy for me, especially when workouts get hard and then coupled with being an insufficient swimmer. So I struggled to breathe in the water. So that's never easy for me. But I managed to lie to my brain, told my brain it was my last half Ironman ever, last triathlon I'll ever do. Um, so just get through this. <laughs> told my brain whatever it needed to hear. Um, got through the swim. Bike was amazing. I actually had a fast friend and my training partner who started the swim 10 minutes behind me so that we could get together on the bike and work together on the bike. And that was pretty cool. Um did a new PB there by four or five minutes on in a 70.3 bike leg. And then the run. Unfortunately, I did not get to, if you don't know, if you're listening to this for the first time, David puts together my strength and conditioning. I, for whatever reason. Uh, strength, mate. No conditioning. I don't do any of your conditioning. Only so uh, for, whatever, for whatever excuse you want to insert, I didn't do any strength work for the last month before the race. Um, flu coupled by deep onset muscle soreness from other races etc i haven't managed to get to the gym and i have such a weak body my back just goes backwards so quickly and just wasn't able to run on, at my potential on the run but decided to take positives out of it you know healthy was there able to finish it comfortably so all around even a bad day is a good day man um i just wanted to ask a question mate of uh so you've recommitted uh, internally at the company, but I wanted you to recommit externally to uh, 
to the strength work, but also maybe some of the breath stuff that you were given that breath device uh, when you're in Copenhagen. So maybe those are the two things that you need to spend a little time committed to. That's actually not a bad shout. Um, I have committed publicly to your strength training. I think I mentioned it on Strava. I think maybe even on Facebook. I put it out there for the world so that I could be accountable. Um, Aerofits, I do have breathing, um, a breathing apparatus from Aerofits. That's not a bad shot. I think I need to get to that and, and see what impact it can make. Well, you're about to go traveling, mate. Both of those two things uh, require no real gear aside from obviously taking the Aerofit device itself. So take it and and then do the strength work while you're there. Um, you know, while you're on the road traveling and, and riding isn't a, really an option. Do that. That is why I keep you around. You give really, really good advice. Uh, besides me sending <laughs> you uh, videos of uh, things on my back to see if it shingles or not, uh, that's one of the many reasons I keep you around. You give very, very good advice, David. <laughs> Should we get to this uh, week's guest? Yeah, let's do it. Hope you enjoy this chat as much as we did with Scarbu Grimay. Today we're talking to Scarbo Gromay, professional cyclist who rides for Jayco Alula. Scarbo is the first Ethiopian ever to ride the Tour de France. He's also a three-time national road champion, six-time national time trial champion, and a former African time trial champion. Scarbo became the first Ethiopian to win an international cycling race when he won a stage of the Tour of Taiwan. He's a longtime friend of mine, an ex-colleague of mine. Scarbo, always nice to chat to you, man. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for this interview and thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. No, where, thank you so much. Where are you talking to us from? You're about to start a race tomorrow, aren't you? Yeah, in uh, Andalusia, actually, tomorrow. I'm going to race Andalusia. I wasn't meant to race, but uh, yeah, I just, I was first reserve. I just got called yesterday and uh, I'm here. I was in altitude training in Sierra Nevada. So it was just one hour 30 away from the hotel we are. So I was okay. I don't think it's just the proximity being so close to the team. I think the team also saw how you were racing in Valenciana. It was really nice to see you at the front of the race there, man. You're obviously flying at the moment. Yeah, it was a good start. It was a good start. I had a good uh, building up training and uh, I'm happy with the form I had. And uh, we will see in Andalusia, really. I'm really looking to it. I was uh, yeah, I was happy with, and with everything so far for the season, and uh, that's why I went to Siranavara also to alt to altitude, and uh, my next race was in French races, but uh, yeah, now just come here to Andalusia, so maybe it can be for good, you know, we will see. And so, will that mean that you alter your the, the plans you had coming up? Do they change as well because you had to come into this race? Do you skip another race, or will you still do that other race? I'm not sure. Uh, I just I just come here, uh, here and uh, yeah, maybe they will adjust it because the the guy who was uh, Posty Burger, he he's supposed to race here. Maybe if it's getting better, he will six. So if it's getting better, maybe he will race in French or that was uh, supposed to race. So for me, it's the more race I do is the better. I believe for myself. So I'm happy to be here. You know. Okay. So, Scarbo, maybe you can answer this question. David and I were talking earlier about your substitution, and he doesn't come from cycling, but he's a very high-level coach himself. He's a high-level marathon runner himself, but he doesn't have a lot of experience in cycling. So he was fascinated that you could just get put in a race that you weren't peaking for, you know? How is that possible? How does that affect your training? 
Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Like if you weren't doing that, the race now, if they didn't substitute you in, would you still have been doing like high intensity training? Uh, yeah, in altitude was different. Uh, in altitude, we were doing a lot of zone two uh, stuff, uh, fat marks, uh, that's it. That's what I was uh, doing. Some guys was doing interval and personally, because I, I know uh, I, I was doing a lot of mistakes in altitude, you know, so, uh, because I grew up in altitude in Ethiopia and this time I like I, I learned a lot from my previous and now when I went to up there in altitude, I was just always doing low uh, volume. Uh, my highest uh, ride was like just low zone three, high zone two. Uh, so yeah, a lot of volume and uh, about all about zone two and that was also always working for me with some really high cadence sprint. Uh, just just still keep the zone two, zone three, that's it. Uh, so I was just doing easy uh, up there, even the other guys was uh, doing some intervals. So, but personally I was doing so. The next five days also, that was my goal, just to keep always low, 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 and the volume is high. And uh, I was doing also in the rest day sometimes running, just easy running, like zone two, zone one on the top uh so it's all just it's all about just uh doing easy and uh, do high intensity in the in the low low sea level uh then when i come to the, back to girona so my my program was do two weeks in high altitude easy long rides then come back to girona one week high high interval uh high max intervals uh beach max a bit uh, and uh, do racing the french races so that was a general idea but now, luckily, I have to rest. So today, today I was doing some really high intense, like uh, max uh, efforts, like three minutes, three minutes, three minutes. So three minutes max, two minutes rest, three minutes max. So I was doing that just to, to open up the body. Be careful with the running, man. You might become a triathlete soon. Be careful. Man. No, no. <laughs> but the, the running, the running, the running. I do. I, I, I was doing a lot of running this uh, season. It was it was helping a lot. Uh, so yeah, I was really interesting, and I love it. I I getting uh, like better and better every day. On how it, much, like always. How much running a week are you doing, or were you doing? Two two times normally, uh, but I had I need to have uh, more than two weeks uh, period of uh, training. Uh, so between races, I don't think so. I will get that much. Uh, but uh, before Valencia, I was doing a lot, like two times per week, uh, like one hour, twelve. 13k, even sometimes 15k, uh, which is which is was good in, in the morning, empty stomach, and was was a good one, was really good. And so our listeners, uh, you know, mostly endurance fans, and and they hear you speaking, an Ethiopian guy, and they hear and they hear you running, and they're thinking, okay, now how does somebody who loves running so much end up a cyclist? So how did that happen? <laughs> No, I don't. I don't like uh, running. Sorry to say that, but <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> but <laughs> I, yeah, my brother was a runner. Uh, my sister also. She was trying, and I was fell in love with the bike, and I always on the bike, and yeah, start cycling. Yeah, there was a lot of up and down. It was good. Ended up here, you know. And uh, but yeah, I start to read and decide also to do running and uh, I was I was I was like always like there is there is something outside of cycling that I have to do beside a gym beside like uh, a bike that was I found out running was really good running and some 
jumping stuff like plyometrics, these kind of exercises, it works really good for me. And uh, I was doing it a lot, uh, running that. So this is that's why now. But now when I start running, I I I really love it. I really like it. I feel really good. More uh, mentally, physically, I felt really very good the whole day. And I'm I'm I I really love it. I think I I will run more even if I stop cycling. I think I would keep running for sure. But before. I tell you honestly, I was I wasn't really get it. It was not my <laughs> favorite sport. And so you mentioned you got exposure to a bike and got really interested. How did you gain exposure to the bike? I mean, it's something you know. I, I never had any inkling of becoming a cyclist or cycling seriously. It's just not something I was exposed to. So where did you gain your exposure from? I think from my brother. Uh, actually, my father also one of the guys who started cycling in my city uh, so he's he's now 74 years old but uh, this is i'm talking 45 years ago uh, he was also one of the but just they just started with really heavy city bikes uh, and my brother was i watching him racing winning in the local races and he was also one of the guy who comes to UCI Cycling Center in Egel from Ethiopia. He was the first Ethiopian and also in South Africa, Pochistrim for the African Cycling Center. And uh, when he came back, I start cycling also. So I was following him. He was coaching me and uh, he's still looking after me. And yeah, that's uh, I get inspired by. And also when I grow up, uh, there was always bike in my house. Like, like, as I said, my father was always traveling with the bike. My brother has always bike there and I always uh, they were with there was a bike i always uh, ride a bike and uh, even there was if there was no like a bike at my home like i always go outside and rent a bike and to get the money also sometimes also i have to steal from my father's pocket i don't know if i have to say this but uh, <laughs> it's it's true uh, i was i was i was doing like i was stealing money just to ride a bike but uh, you know now i get paid to ride it it's it, it's uh, amazing so that was my freedom that was uh the only thing i was doing like and when i was uh 14 my brother gave me a bike that i can travel to the school so it was that's how i just building up and uh, soon as i realized i wanted to when i was 16 i want to start cycling everything i stopped it like school and everything you know so in africa in ethiopia is different like if you can stop school you can stop at any grade so i just stopped at the eighth grade and my father and my mother wanted me to continue school i said no i just want to ride a bike i want to be a cyclist so that's how it started you're lucky it's worked out for you eh jeep is it i'm really gamble, lucky man? i know it's not a gamble man it was was uh you know, sometimes as a kid, you don't get, you don't think about being pro or getting money. You just feel the passion and the feeling you have. You just do it, you know. So that was I was like following, and uh, yeah, my brother was always looking after me. I was getting some cycling clothing, shoes, helmet. You know, these things are really difficult to get it, which is my brother was uh, kind of has it at that time uh, and also the bike with you have to get to the academy to the government the government there was a government uh, teams that uh, gives us a bike and yeah that's how we, uh, we started so it just just as a start just by the feeling and the passion then it become a work you know at the end what did your parents do when you were growing up like what was growing up like in in, in ethiopia what did they do for work 
Oh, yeah, so my family, I have big family. I have uh, five uh, sisters, four brothers, so we are 10. Uh, the only person who works is my father. Uh, and he was working, uh, we call it gomista, it's Italian word, uh, changing tires for the cars. Uh, and he's the only uh, guy who was working. And all of us, we were going to the garage and helping him as a kid. So the, the girls, I, let's say, uh, either culture or whatever, that time they don't, they don't allow to work, so they are always at home. But uh, if you are a man, you can go from little age also to help your father. So, yeah, my mother, she never worked. Uh, she's always at home. And, uh, yeah, only my father was working. And, uh, yeah, it's all about surviving, to tell you honestly. As a family, we have really poor family. And, uh, yeah, if you eat three times a day, that was the biggest... <laughs> win you know uh, that's how we grow up as a big large family that's that was a big challenge you mentioned your father cycled how did he get into cycling given you know he was working uh, to try and support you all in that time uh, there was uh, italians who bring the sport to ethiopia and so when when my father was telling us he was they wasn't even doing training they just give them bike and doing this every sunday or something and in the afternoon also they have to go to work uh kind of like that there was no proper sport uh so they were doing it like that uh, and sometimes also they do train but yeah just when there is event they say that we're gonna do racing they do they do racing so the pictures when you see they don't have even proper clothes or something they just put them numbers behind and uh, shorts and normal shoes with um, how do you say it uh, there is old pedals you know yeah uh, so yeah the bikes are really heavy like 15 18 kilo steel uh, bikes so yeah and they was there was like there was racing uh just you, they don't even know like how to follow in that time they are always going like when we do training like two by two they, they do racing kind of like that, you know, uh, so, but yeah, that, that's, that's 40 years ago. And that was, uh, my father, one of the people who started cycling in around my city. So when you, you dropped out of school and you had the bike and you got kicked from your brother, when did doors start opening for you to become a professional cyclist then? I think that's the biggest door was in South Africa, Puchstrom, uh, that uh, like when in Ethiopia, when I start uh, racing, I was I was quite OK. Uh, and uh, I've been selected to national team uh, when I was 18 and the national team sent me to South Africa to Puchstrom Cycling African Cycling Center. And from that also JP, uh, Japin Vanzil, the director of the cycling Africa center that he sent me to Switzerland but Switzerland is like the biggest uh, door that opened for me but I will say this I always say uh, the first two weeks in Switzerland I was almost give up like this is not for me this is like too hard cold uh, the race is different in Europe uh, small roads there was so much challenge and com completely different compared to African cycling because I was doing before I come to Switzerland I was doing through Amisabongo and uh, through Rwanda and some African championship these races are completely different compared to European races then I said no way this is this is not what I, I know like as a cyclist you know this is not bike racing then like 
after two weeks, there was an under-23 Toscani race. I finished fifth uh, GC. Then I was climbing better. Then it gives me hope. Then I said, wow, I'm going to make it. Then, then that's where it uh, started. And that's where I, I create my dream and everything. I want to do Tour de France from that moment. I said, I want to do uh, Olympic and to be in the pro world tour. And that's all uh, started. That was a turning point. Well, I mean, I don't even know what to say. Um, <laughs> so from that point, how does your career change? So now you've decided you want to be in the Tour de France and all this, and you're part of the South African Cycling Centre. You've just got to Switzerland. So what happens next? How do you end up, you know, where you are today on a professional team? Yeah, then from that, uh, I, I stay seven months in uh, Eagle uh, in 2011 uh, in UCI Cycling Center. Then uh, Doug Ryder, MTM Kubeka, he gives us uh, opportunity. Uh, when I say he gives us, there we were a lot of African cyclists. That's where also Zyla and I met him. Uh, so I got the biggest opportunity to join the team. That was a Conti team with a big dream that to become a World Tour team uh, in that moment. And that was the biggest uh, turning point also to have uh, opportunity to race in Europe. Uh, we we spent uh, a lot of time in Belgium. I remember 2012, and uh, we were. It's all about. Uh, sometimes you you will feel now. Wow, that was the biggest opportunity. Actually, we got at that moment. Sometimes you don't think. You know, uh, as a rider, young age, you just keep riding. You know, then uh, that was uh, the biggest opportunity we get from Doug, and thanks to him. And uh, when we turned uh, pro conti also as a uh, with MTM Quebec 2013-14, uh, then also big step, uh, then 2015 uh, turned to Lampre, uh, then from that uh, Bahrain and uh, Trek and here uh, Greenwich. So, yeah. You've jumped around there a lot, Scarbo. I want to go back a little bit to uh, yeah. <laughs> some of those gaps there because, I mean, I remember you, you, you spoke about being in Switzerland and wanting to give up and not giving up. I also remember a time, I think it was 2013 World Championships in Florence, in Firenze, under 23 World Champs. I remember it was a very disappointing day for you. You didn't finish the, the race. And at the same time, you know, your teammate Louis Menkes got the silver medal. And that was like, yeah. wow, big for Africa. You know, Africa is not used to being represented at that level in cycling at the time. And I remember you being very disappointed and, and crying in the car and we were chatting but then after like 10, 15 minutes, you just changed and you were like, you know what? I'm not going to give up on this dream. I'm not. You know, you wiped the tears away and you were like, I am going to keep chasing this dream. Do you remember that day? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had, I had, because you were there, you saw it, but I had these moments more uh, times. Uh, yeah, I was, I was uh, always uh, dreaming uh, big and um uh, I, I wanted to be a really good cyclist because I started also good and somehow I was, I was, uh, I was losting uh, my condition or my forms when I come to Europe. I started in in Asian races. I was winning to the stage in uh, Taiwan. Uh, then uh, there was a lot of people also supporting me and helping me. They was uh, said, "Wow, you will be a really good cyclist. You can be a good climber." Then in Europe. I was I was losting that, so I was always disappointing, and and I don't I don't blame no one. There was around people help around me, people helping me, but I was doing a lot of 
mistakes like not do, doing pro- proper training and uh, and I think the biggest uh, mistake I had is like mentally not physically when I say mentally is like as a kid I want to change my life I want to get good money uh, for me for my family then when we turned pro conti I think in that moment there was too much money then I was like when I go back to Ethiopia I had good life I I uh, I get get good money uh, paid and I was supporting my family that's dream come true for me and that that was slows me down a lot then when I see my, my, like how I was with Luis Menges and other riders they were keep working keep researching following nutrition training I wasn't doing that uh, stuff I was a bit losing the line you know when I go back especially to Ethiopia then when I come to Europe when I, I see some guys they were going better than me I always get wow no, I wanted this. I have to be this. I have to, I have to do this. Why I do this? And these things, like also at a young age, we are talking about. I'm. I was 21 years old. 21, 20 years old. So, uh, I was always fighting with me, and I never. I don't know also how to fix it uh, in that moment. That I all. The the biggest thing I have. It happened to me is I guess I never give up. I was. I was always have hope, and uh, even doing mistakes. I know I feel it. I'm doing bad or doing mistakes, but I never give up. Never. So I was crying and I was, I wanted this, I wanted it, but I don't know how to do it. And even like sometimes also when I come back to do it, I do it too much. Like do too much work, too much with my nutrition. And I, I, can't, I ended up the race again, but then there is a lot of reason you put it in. So somehow it doesn't come. I didn't bring the balance, but the good thing, like I said, I never give up then. Then there was uh, people around me who always giving me opportunity when I was even uh, doing bad. Uh, that's that's because was Brett Copeland that I was I was working with him. He was giving me the opportunity. In 2014, I had really bad year, really bad year, but he gave me the opportunity to turn uh, to Lampre to World Tour. So I don't deserve that place, but he was believing in me that I can do better. I can be a good rider. Then that was also the biggest. Uh, changing uh, turning point for me uh, yeah. then I, I, I met around pe- like good people to guide me and I was getting better you know learning from my mistake I've been I've been doing a lot of mistakes so much mistakes but yeah uh, I was just slow learner keep learning so I wish I wish now the thing I know now I wish I knew it five <laughs> at least six years you know what I mean like everybody says us, that yeah. but yeah. But mine, mine was different because there was uh, coming from Ethiopia. It's now I have young guy with me. I always telling him my mistakes, like. But in my moment, there was no one, no one understand me. Different mentality, different culture. Just, just it's you only find out by yourself. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's 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 a lot of challenge. But yeah, I wish I wish always I knew this. A bit back here you know so I, I always say to people I am I learn slow you know but it's what I, what I say I learn slow is because because also the background I come the everything my people behind me in Ethiopia they always clap for me like oh, are you doing good you're doing good you're doing good because they see me I'm racing in Europe but they, they don't see that I'm doing mistakes so there is no one uh, helping you but from Europe also no one understand your culture no one understand your mentality and they always say to you with the signs and everything I don't went to university or I don't read books I, I I just learn slow you know even like with the language so 
I'm so lucky, so lucky and glad that I'm here. Uh, and from now, just sometimes I say that this is a starting point for me. <laughs> um, David, I'll let you jump in here, but I just want to say, you know, Scarba, you mentioned this Ethiopian writer you're helping, and I want to get to that later, how you've opened the doors for them. But you mentioned Brent Copeland, who gave you um, the opportunity at Lamprey. And it's, it's so important, just to give the listener context. So Brent Copeland was the general manager of Lamprey. He's now general manager of your team that you ride for now to Jake Olula. And he's South African, South African born, who's living in Italy for 25, 30 years, working at the highest level. And he saw in you the potential and the pressure that you had coming from home and the different culture you came from. So you had all these other parameters you had to address. It wasn't just a European rider who's from Belgium sure. or from Spain yeah. trying to go professional and they live at home and they eat mom's food and off they go to the races. You had so many more things to overcome. And the fact that you had a bad year doesn't mean you didn't have talent. It just meant True. that you needed help with coping with the more challenges that you... And look at how many doors you've opened now for other African riders, which we'll get to later. But yeah, I just wanted to give some context for that. David, Yeah, you... yeah. I was I was so happy that moment that I met uh, Brent. Uh, People like him uh, are really few in my life, uh, very few, like, because, uh, like he said, uh, people see what you're doing and they wanted something from you, especially if they're paying you in cycling, sport, in any sport. Uh, but, yeah, I was losing, I was losing, uh, and he gives me the opportunity. That's, that's, that's something else, and I want to, I always to say to my mother, when you pray for me, pray for him also. Really, because we 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 as a I, as a Christian, my mother always going to the church every Monday, every Sunday. Like, and I always said that that's that's how big for me he did. He same as me, like, because not he's not only changed for me, he changed my family life, and he he gives me like the line again to continue my dream and to chase my dream. This is this is I, I I don't know I don't know what uh, what's gonna happen if I was out of team 2014 uh, because when you say 2014 bad year and get opportunity with Lampre I doing I did 2016 Tour de France that was my dream I was, I, always I said to people I I wanna I wanna do tour I wanna do tour and and there was people said to me ah oh, tour is hard no way like especially people around me like. Sometimes, some the, like the, the closest people they say to me, "Ah oh, man, yeah, I know it's hard, but it's good. You dreaming, you dreaming big. Like they don't, they don't feel it. Like I'm gonna do it, but I was always say I'm gonna do it. And all my interview in Ethiopia, I was said, 100% I will do it. But I don't know the way, and I was losing my job even during 2014. And this is I was talking 2012. If I want to do Tour de France, I want to do Tour de France. So. If it was there was no brand there, that, then like it would be different. But sometimes also I believe if you have a dream, if you chase it, if you never give up, there is always someone coming. Your dream brings you someone to you. That's that's what I believe. And because of my dream, I got brand. I got people. I I mean like that helps me to to achieve my dream. You know so. Thanks to him and thanks to people who helping me, all the sponsors who was supporting me, and it's 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 it means I know sometimes to the European riders is 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 different when they watching Tour de France growing up closely, and uh, for me from Ethiopia and 
coming from a long way to reach to do to France and to meet these people and helping me. They don't even know me and they don't even like see it. Cycling will become like this, like as a, like people think. So why you are on the bike? You should be a runner because everybody think us as a runner, you know. But I was a guy on the bike and coming to Europe and to meet these people. It's it's it just. It just, it just, I'm so glad and happy and thanks to everybody, I will say, like, in general, you know, it's like, I cannot, there was so many people that around me, but Brent was a special one, just to add it to that. And so you've mentioned what a lot of people are probably thinking, which is, um, you know, East Africans particularly have a lot of talent for running and everyone seems to think that this will translate into cycling, right? And and in you it has, and in, you know, one or two other Ethiopian riders it has. But why do you think it's not translating in other countries like Kenya or Uganda or places like this where there's just as much running talent, but uh, we're not seeing anybody coming uh, via cycling? I think uh, I have different opinion, though. I don't believe uh, really uh, cycling and running is the same because people always say to me and I have a lot of conversation with people like that. And I have different, a bit different opinion on that because uh, cycling, cycling is is completely different sports compared to running because people think cycling and running is the same. And if their runners put them on the bike, you give them the right training, they can fly. They think, but it's not. It, it, it's completely wrong for me personally because uh, running, you 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 have specific uh, training just for that specific of kilometer. Uh, if you are on one marathon, you train for that. You race with only. Uh, who runs marathon you don't race with usian bolt or you uh, 100 meter or 200 meter runner uh, you don't mix everything cycling is mixed i can i'm racing with better sagan who has different talent or cavendish with the sprinters flat guys cobbles and also the positioning uh, the, the climbers and everyone is is, is 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 mixing in one group it's like 200 people with different talent and positioning timing and descending uh, nutrition uh, there is we are talking about six hour uh, racing five between four to six hour uh, of racing but running is like i said like marathon is two hour you you run you run that just for that you train for that is it's specific and uh, there is not too much also technique and uh, it's all about condition you build up so of course, if cycling is uh, it's one climb racing, then we will see for sure more African guys. If it's like time trial, you start at the bottom. Who is the fastest? We can see more African guys for sure. But like we're talking about Grand Tour, Tour de France, you need so much uh, thing because there is a lot of going on inside the race. So it's different. That's why that's why we are we coming slowly uh, because when when we do it properly uh, because when you see the european guys or the other uh, western uh, riders they grow up with it in track academy in uh, with different uh, program uh, but in 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 africa when you see it 16 18 they are in different job but running running is they they don't even know but they do run all every day to to bring water to go to school and they do this exercise they grow up with it and it become much easier for us to be a good runner, but to become a good cyclist, you have to grow up also there. You have, they have to they have to start from 12 years old, 10 years old, uh, track academy. There is so much uh, school than like what European doing. So hopefully, hopefully, like 
now we see some African guys coming and the government also maybe will think there is opportunity and there is also a lot of European people are investing now in Africa that they believe they can do it. So if we do it properly, for sure, it will become more. But compared to like what we people think straightforward, why we are run fast and we don't uh, become good cyclists because there is different sport, different programming, different uh, there's so much going on in cycling that people doesn't think really doesn't see it. And do you think so? You've been uh, just over ten years now in the European peloton. From when you started to where you are now, do you think African cycling has grown and there is more support? And do you think it is in? Of course, there's a lot more work to be done. But do you think it's in a better place? For sure, it should be it should be in better place. Uh, but. Yeah, I, I believe, I believe uh, because when you see also uh, how many African cyclists was giving opportunity, especially uh, with Dark Rider when he started the project with MTN Kubeka uh, and also with UCI Cycling Center, there is other teams also was giving opportunity, but we ended up like maybe five or six only at the, at the end. But how many, how many African riders, like we have to tell also the, the truth to the people uh, also to the African people, the riders also they have to learn uh, how many riders also giving opportunity that they run away when they come to Europe. This is people doesn't see it. They don't use the opportunity. So there was, there was being giving enough opportunity for sure. Then we didn't use it. We only few riders, we use this opportunity that we come to Europe, we go back home and we train, we get opportunity, we come back and we chase our dream. So it's good to see like Biniam Girmay winning big races like Grand Tour. This will change a lot for the future, will inspire many, many uh, cyclists. And also in Africa, I, th I believe uh, our salaries will inspire more instead of the result also just to because in running, I see this a lot uh, in runners, how much you get this money. Wow, I want to do I want to win. I want to get I wanna, because it's all about changing our life. So this is people doesn't see it from outside Ethiopia or outside of Africa, but this is also the game, like the biggest uh, switch in motivation and uh, to become to change our life because the background is different. We always chase money and we always wanted more. So it's it's it will come for sure more, but also there was opportunity that we didn't use it. This is this is also true for, from my point. Could you give our listeners maybe some insight into what the you know the earnings you've made so far has meant for for you and your family? Like, what's changed for you since that's happened? That uh, just so that they understand the context for what you were just mentioning around people doing it. Yeah, I mean, like personally, I I mean, I I, I live in Ethiopia. I want to live also in Ethiopia, uh, which is which is for me. I have really good life and also uh, changing. Uh, my family life also uh, really it's uh, it's it's because of uh, uh, this sport because of uh, cycling uh, i was i was a guy growing up without shoes really my father when 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 he buy a shoes for me he said to me you have to use the shoes for six months and i was always playing football and running with my friends i i destroyed the shoes like in three three uh, four weeks maximum then I have to I have to walk like without shoes five months. This is this is how I grow up. This is the truth, and 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 because the, we, my family couldn't afford it to buy me shoes every month, so 
to go to school and that the, the good thing is like it's not only me there was so many kids that working without shoes so for me i grow up with having no shoes than now having a car it just just for me it's just not only shoes i have a car to go around i have whatever i want you know it's like enough food this is i'm i'm very very rich person just to have this you know forget the other stuff's house things you put uh, and because you can't imagine minimum salary or minimum salary how much can be in ethiopia it's 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 millions in ethiopia and uh, people people have live in 100 or 120 euro average salary in ethiopia the doctors paid like 200 euro per, per month then yeah you can imagine what kind of life i can have in ethiopia so this is this is what uh, cycling changed for me and uh will change also for many african uh, cyclists it's 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 this is just a frame you know Mm-hmm. Skabu, um you said earlier you're 31 now um, and you wish you knew now what you wish you knew back then what you know now when did you start maturing when did you start feeling okay I'm growing into my skin I'm doing the training properly now I'm doing the nutrition I can feel I'm becoming an adult now in in my career can you can you pinpoint when that started happening uh, I mean there was uh, when I was like until up to 26, 27, I was always I want to do this, I want to do this, I want to do this, but always doing. Sometimes you do right, sometimes you do mistake. But uh, then from I will say 26 to 29, I said I want to listen to like to the coach. I want to listen 100% what they said me, and I will stuck to it. I will do it. Uh, then yeah, from 29 to now, like I I start to digging in to read and to to. When I when I do good race, I go back and write it what training I have done, what kind of uh, training I, I like. I start become like more like this. So now I uh, like all. I I'm out of social media. I don't use any social media. I spend a lot of uh, listening, podcasting, and reading of books and uh, books that can change my life or to can teach me about how to train or uh, self discipline or uh, motivation. Uh, that's that's all about now. Uh, but the last two years, I become like that, and I I I've become know, knowing more, and I I I change my Twitter like just following the smart people that who post like some research something about cycling and. I noticed you, you know, followed me when you started following smart people. Right? You follow me. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't do that. Anyway, it's like <laughs> it's. <laughs> I become more like that, you know. It's like it's lo- it's all about like discovering something, and you put it to yourself. If it works, it works. If it's not, because there's so much information out there, also that sometimes put you makes you confused if you don't know properly. But yeah, it's uh, from from eighteen to twenty five. It's a disaster. It just it's a lot of up and down and so much mistakes. And but I, I I'm 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 glad I. I I mean, sometimes you say, I wish I knew it this, but sometimes also it like I have a goal to help young guys. So I believe if I did 100 mistakes, if I tell them these 50 mistakes or have 100 mistakes, they will they will do less. You know, they will learn from it. So I it's 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 it's, it's a, a shit to say that I did mistake for someone to learn to teach. But that's 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 the truth. I did, I did a lot of mistakes. So now I will I will use it to to teach. Yeah, young guys uh, so what can i do at this moment it's nothing there is no way back so i learn from it 
learning from it, I will help young guys that they don't have to do the mistakes. So yeah, this is, I would put it in different ages, uh, but for sure also there is a long way for me. I know nothing. I really know nothing because when I know more, I feel like, fuck, I know I don't know nothing. Sorry more for my word, but <laughs> <laughs> when I know more, you know, like when I know things now, I said, ah, there is always more because I know nothing, you know, so it's, it's, this is a general. And is that the next phase for you after cycling? Is it going to be in mentoring young riders and helping? Yeah, sure, 100%. I already start uh, young guys I have under my name uh, in Ethiopia. We have started with me me and my brother. We have uh, six guys. Uh, they are like around uh, 14, 15 years old. And we just started this uh, project and we're going to build up uh, to to help and maybe... Uh, like small uh, local team and uh, we will try to use my connection with the European uh, connection and hopefully there will be people also will help us uh, because it, bike racing is different uh, really you need a lot of things you need money you need uh, bikes you need uh, so much uh, things so we start now with only six guys that uh, we give them the bikes I was using them and we give the jersey the helmets all I was keeping it because I was always had this in mind i will use it this for young guys so there is also friends who is always giving me and sending me jersey and uh, uh, shoes and so we we're doing it good without any spending too much money now but we have big goals that to help young guys so yeah it's uh, it's already started and my my goal is like to have like 20 30 young guys and uh, from these 30 20 guys also maybe i can make two or three guys to to make to world tour uh, and there is always when i when i start this idea also i always have idea maybe also we these young guys we we started also two days running or three days running half also 50 percent also cycling so sometimes we are thinking me and my brother we were talking maybe these guys they can become also good runner not only cyclist so as a 14 15 years old they can choose so we are thinking also beside it to to make also good runners. So just small idea, but we we're gonna build up this. Why do you want to do that? I mean, why don't you just go back to Ethiopia and build a hotel and invest in other business and you know enjoy the good life? Why do you want to do that to to, to plow back? Because for me, that's a good life. That's that's my passion. That makes me happy. Uh, you know, it's it's. For me, for me, it's like fight three times, and I have uh, the people I love around me. That's it. That's it. I don't need anything. I'm not a guy who wears a watch. Uh, even hundred euro watch is expensive for me. I don't want to do it. I, I, I'm a guy who goes to buy a t-shirt, white t-shirt, as cheapest one. I'm a mm -hmm. guy like easy life. You know, I don't, I don't feel ashamed on that. I don't. Uh, I, I live in the world that is like uh, also my teammates and the people I know, they they spend so much money. They being a rich is, is, is different, but it's it's all about mentality. So for me, it's a, like the most thing in my life is to spend time with the people I love and to laugh, smile and to have good time than to work what you want to work to do. You know, so I love riding a bike. That's my passion. I'm riding it and I get paid to it. That's 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 blessing, you know. Yeah, this is that's that's you know sometimes money makes money, which is which is good, but if you have good money, there is 
the, there is enough money for me in my life. So that's what I, I think. So just it's all, it's all about learning and thankful and be humble and just laugh, you know, smiling to get to get a laugh. Also, not not the money you get. You have to spend time with the people you love, you know, friends and having fun. And so besides that, also you have to work. Working is for me just uh, helping young guys. So not at this moment. At this moment, he's riding my bike. So people don't understand. <laughs> Maybe it doesn't when I say, but it's 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 all about that, you know. I noticed that uh, you don't like spending money because a couple of months ago when we went and had dinner in Girona, you made me pay the bill. So I noticed that you don't like. Uh... <laughs> no, you paid or I paid? Okay, no, no, I'll, I'll you, you paid. You paid. I'm gonna, I'm, I won't lie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so what's the moment you've been most proud of in your career so far uh when i do tour de france first day 2016 stage one i was just crying on the line i was crying wow i was i was so happy that day was that after stage one after you completed the first no stage? no just just before stage just before stage on the line i was i you know like you know one week before the you get selected to the tour de france so there was we celebrate at home and we I was happy, very happy, coming to the, to the hotels. We were okay, like happy, exciting, and looking forward to start. But on the start line, they just five minutes before I was just on my bike and I was just crying. I was, I was I never forget that because that was my dream. That was I've been I've been chasing that dream five years and I was growing up. You know, Tour de France is for me is like. Just it's just something else. And I, when I was watching Tour de France in Ethiopia, I don't even know there was another races. Like I, I come to Europe, I discovered there was uh, Paris Roubaix, there is Giro d'Italia, there is Volta España. You know, like I, I, before that, I never, I never hit these races. The only race we watch is Tour de France. We wait July, we re, we watch Tour de France. That's that's how I was growing. You know, so to be on that start line there, start line with like. Contador, like he, he would been inspiring me a lot. I was watching him from Ethiopia before I come to Europe. Then I was there in the start line with him. It just, it just all comes to my mind, and I was just crying. Nobody sees it, but I was just crying that moment. I never forget it. Wow. And what was the race like? Were you getting a lot of attention? Were you doing a lot of interviews because you were the first Ethiopian rider? Yeah. Yeah, I was the first Ethiopian rider, rider there, and uh, yeah, there was a lot of uh, uh, yeah, there was there was yeah, well, there was so much. Also from Ethiopia, you know, uh, the whole Ethiopia because people knows me around uh, my city that I was pro. But when I did Tour de France, the whole Ethiopia, uh, then also it was big, big uh, before I left, and there was a lot of interview after I come back. There was. Uh, it changed my life. Just doing the Tour de France, uh, it changed a lot. Also, it, uh, yeah, uh, it's only not about like being busy and interview or become more famous. There is also a lot of company become sponsoring. You will become ambassador to them. There was so much things that I didn't see it. It comes to me after the tour. Yeah, so that's that's good because this is good also to mention. I don't want to say it, but it's good to mention also to young guys. They have to dream, but. When they dream it, then reach it like Tour de France. There is so much bonus coming beside that you, they don't even see it. That's what I what happened to me, you know. So mm -hmm. yeah, in Tour de France and outside of Tour de France was so. So on that year, I did also Olympic. So Ethiopia come back after 44 years 
but in recycling to Olympic. So that's also I did uh, Rio Olympic 2016. So it was was good year for me. Well, what a year. And do you yeah. feel the pressure being, you know, representing Ethiopia, you know, in representing Africa, even in the peloton? Is that something that you carry as a burden or? No, not really. I mean, when you say as an African, there was people, I believe, doing better than me, like Daniel Teklahamanot. He was the first guy who reached World Tour uh, and he did uh, King of Mountain, like he was a uh, mountain judge in Tour de France 2015. And yeah, I'm not that guy who leads on that stuff. Uh, but uh, like Daryl Limpy, uh, Robbie Hunter, Chris Froome or so, I would call it like a really African guy uh, that they was doing so much uh, things. They were on stage, they were uh, yellow jersey there. Uh, but yeah, from Ethiopia, yeah, there was, there was uh, first time for for Ethiopia, and I was uh, I was the first guy who made it all steps like to be in continental team, to World Tour team, then also Tour de France and racing Giro d'Italia. All this Grand Tour I have done, it's 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 just all over first time. So I don't feel the pressure because I just I just ride my bike. Really, I don't see it. I never see it. But uh, yeah. Sometimes I get when I see people come to me with big respect that sometimes you feel it. Wow, maybe I have done something, you know. Scarbo, we can talk forever, forever, and we are going to make you late <laughs> for your for your team dinner. So I just want to get for your team lunch. So I just want to get to some specific stuff with regards to training and glucose. Earlier, you you said that you made some mistakes in altitude before because you're so used to coming from altitude in Ethiopia. What were those mistakes that you were making? Oh, doing too much training in altitude, really. Doing a lot of intensity, too much training, and uh, not doing it properly, uh, not doing the right uh, thing. Uh, even even like uh, small things, small mistakes as a world to like, I don't even know what kind of supplements I have to take in altitude. Uh, I found out uh, more like when I'm late, like now, you know, like I have to take more iron, more this stuff, and uh, all this uh, stuff, small stuff, but it helps a lot, you know. Uh, and I was just destroying myself to when I go to altitude uh, and not bringing the balance. Interesting, man. Sure. And what did you learn from using Super Sapiens? Yeah, I learned. I learned actually a lot. Uh, so it completely changed uh, my nutrition, uh, like. Of the bike, I think. I think when I I I been introduced to super sapiens, uh, I was always uh, before I use it, I was always my mind only during the ride, during the racing. That how I can get benefited. But I found out personally is more outside of the bike helps me a lot uh, because I when I when I uh, when I looked to, to my blood glucose 24 hours like live that helps me what's the best food and what is uh, uh, powerful for me beside like outside of the bike because on the bike uh, I, I, I get it the 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 timing and how many carbs I need that helps me a lot but I didn't get really special pick one or with gel or with the carbo or uh, what kind of special I have to take I, I it's all about uh, more or less similar the only thing I got it is like uh, I have to get every 20 minutes because if I let more than 20 minutes it goes down, then I have to keep 
like I have to always eat inside, uh, inside 20 minutes, which is up to uh, 100, 120 grams per hour that I have to use carbs. This is a simple thing I take, I get, but off the bike, uh, it helps a lot for me personally, because I was always following my nutrition. Uh, and all, all, always eating, I put, I was putting like especially like what white pasta, white bread, beside uh, my nutrition. Uh, but I found out with uh, CPS that I can eat white pasta but not get a spike, which is was helping a lot and gives me a lot of energy. So I always add more pasta and more rice. Doesn't give spike a lot. Then uh, then then I can I can maintain the glucose the blood glucose low and in this way also I can lose uh, weight and eat healthy. Then I found out also I always get like snack fruit with uh, some uh, yogurt or whatever, but it was really bad for me for like apple and uh, some fruit it was it goes up so up to like 180 175 uh, and it was, that was gives me clear image wow this was i was struggling because when i eat pasta and it goes like 120 then goes to 85 stays the whole day then i when i was eating snack goes always so i i create that spike a lot so i don't have to to do to, to i i don't need that then i become like wow so now i eat like three times per day because of thanks to super events that i eat breakfast training then come back lunch that no snack then eat dinner and come back so my weight is like consistently goes down i start like i was like five kilo over to after the winter then i lost like in two and a half months like slowly just i never get it back like even no single day always losing the right way slowly 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 i'm like 64 and i stopped it so i eat more because of the spicy pairs now i eat more carbs clean carbs than I can manage it everything on the right way and I become more powerful actually. So uh, because of that, like I, the the thing is I added more is before CISPESEPANS like like pasta rice, I always scared. Like I, no, no, this gets me, makes me fat. But thanks <laughs> to the sensor, now I eat more. And my wife, my wife, she said to me, oh, we are, it's so, we are so glad you tried this because you're eating more and you're losing weight. This is what happened to me. Because I, I no, and also one one thing I found is like when I eat salad or whatever uh, protein vegetable, if I had little uh, dessert, some with little bit uh, cake or whatever, overnight it, it's all it's not smooth, it's not one line, it's not down. So I, I have always spike like after two one hour, and when I don't eat without uh, dessert, it's always just spike a little bit after 20 minutes comes down and stay the whole night and and this is what i need you know as an athlete and uh, to have this glycemia respond then then i was working also with my nutrition she was she was happy and she said to me wow we can eat pasta but we don't have a problem for you so which is good so i i remove also all the desserts that i, I i'm not a dessert guy now i stop eating dessert always healthy and i I recommended many people, like even outside of cycling, you guys should try this. You should try this because really this will help you for the rest of your life. You know, it's like it's you just track every minute because I spoke with some young, like pro riders. Oh, we don't get it. It's all about up and down and up and down. No, just follow the numbers, read it and understand it. 
it will help you a lot you know so for me beside the bike helps me also outside of the bike and also will help me the rest of my life i guess it's it's I'm, and 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 i have not too much knowledge on it also i would i would love to know more uh, you know like like what kind of what can what can i get from it uh, this is just with the low knowledge i'm talking but for mm-hmm. sure for sure there's so much uh, thing that i can learn because of that uh, sensor you know I'll put David out there. He's available at any time for learning. This is the guy to talk to. God, we'll put you on to him and he can answer any questions anytime. For sure. That's good. Very good. Shall we get to the rush rounds, Alan? Yeah, let's get to the all-important rush rounds, Garbo. Do you have a nickname? Oh, no. I My friends are in Ethiopia. They're calling me Wodgare, which means uh, like Gabramariam Germain is is they call it Gare short. So what the son of son of Gare? So what the Gare? That's all of us we've been called it with my brother, but nobody knows this in Europe. This is his first time actually on this podcast. I'm telling <laughs> this next I'm looking forward to the Peloton trying to do trying to call you that. No. He used but, to teach uh, me Gebra Gebra Miriam when we first met. Gebra Miriam Germain. I have I have yeah. I think I, I will be one I think one of I'm I am one of the 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 most difficult name who has I guess in in Polot in Polotan because uh, people never no one call no one calls me correctly. My name is Segabu. Segabu Gebra Miriam Germain. So no one call like uh, i wonder so why this, i wonder why no one can say that. <laughs> like i'm only the ethiopian guys or yeah, who people from ethiopia can call it but yeah. people calling me sigabu sigabu that's easy to pronounce it i guess so yeah i, I can get a yeah that's it maybe that's a nickname for me maybe <laughs> that's what that <laughs> yeah um and do you scan over or do you scan under over Good. Yeah, Very good. team over, man. Uh, how do you take your coffee? Uh, I'm not coffee coffee guy. Really? Come on, man. You come from, from Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Yeah. Come yeah. on, Skabu. Uh, so... You know, I I, 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 was drinking coffee with milk, uh, and I was, I was like eight years drinking coffee, uh, always with milk, and I use the mocha, Italian mocha coffee. That's the best machine in the world, I would say really like even people comes like with the expensive machine this is good one no 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 <laughs> the italian mocha one is, is is the best one in the world it cheap gives you good if you do it the right way it's the best one uh, right bean the right the uh, powder anyway so when i when i like I, like i said i was listening podcasting reading stuff and uh, the best uh, performance uh, supplement is one of his coffee you know caffeine is, is is really good so when i when i read that and i i read more uh, it says actually the benefit you get if you do it only in the race or two weeks before the race if you don't take caffeine then you take in the race like like it's a shot or whatever caffeine then you get the benefit really like you can have you can get more powerful then when i read that i said wow I'm going to stop coffee just using in the rest. And so this is, I started uh, this season, the whole. So I, I don't drink any, any more coffee and only in the rest. So I start in Valencia drinking coffee. Like I had this Namid short 180 gram caffeine. It's really good concentrate caffeine and also two espresso on the bus. Man, I'm on the, on the, like on, on, 
it's 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 unbelievable. I get the benefit. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Just even all off the bike, I'm happy, powerful. I I feel it. So that was my goal, and uh, that's why I stopped coffee. And uh, I don't stop completely. I just only race. So tomorrow again, start again to coffee. You know, before the yeah. race. Counting down the the hours until the race tomorrow. Yeah. And yeah. What's your favorite uh, meal before a race? Uh, now rice. For sure, after the spams or so I get is like rice is a good one that stays high for a long time in my system, which is I eat only rice now uh, before the rest, which is, which is, uh, yeah, thanks to the sensor that's, that I eat more rice now before the rest. And when do you eat that? How long before you race? Uh, I was eating three hours before, but uh, I was receiving email from the... Super champions normally that always uh, suggest four hours, so it says uh, before four hours and twenty minutes before. So this is what I am doing now. So eating before uh, the rest, four hours before the rest, and uh, twenty minutes before the rest also, like gel and bar. I'm ready. Can you feel a difference in in making those changes? I think so. We will see because also in Valencia, I I was I was more comfortable on uh, riding in high pace. And I was eating also more. This is helps me a lot with the rice also, only rice in my stomach. I was, during the bike, I was eating 100, because I work, I'm working with our nutrition. And I was, she, so I, everything I eat, I calculate and I tell her, and she tells me what to eat in the dinner. So I was eating during the race up to 120, 230 grams per hour. So wow. that's also was big one for me. And I can see in the performance change also. Were you eating that like in 2015, 2016 when you were doing Tour de France? There's no. I don't know. For sure not. I don't think so. Also, there was riders doing it. I think there was Amazing, a popular. Eh? There was a popular number. It was 60 grams per hour on that time. So everybody was doing the same. I don't think so. There was no one uh, doing more. So, mm. but now it's like even like like I said, what four hours before and just before the rest, I get to feel a bit hungry. Then I eat the gel or banana or a bar. Then I just keep eating, man. I just I just want to eat. So it's it's good. And after the race, what is your favorite meal to have after a big race? Pasta. <laughs> Always pasta. Pasta with chicken. I love pasta. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And what's your highest glucose score? Ah, uh, eighty-seven. Eighty-seven. Okay. And the lowest yeah. one? Twenty-three. Twenty-three. Running. Okay. That's not it bad. Twenty-three. There's some people in the company who got seven and eight, man. That's not bad. <laughs> David, do you have any more questions? No, I just want to say thank you. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. Oh, thanks so much. Thanks so much. No, thanks for having I, me. I, and uh, yeah. I know a big part of your story. Obviously, I've known you for a long time, but just to hear you retelling it and just see you go from strength to strength is amazing, man. From challenges in the early days, wanting to give up, other people believing in you, you keep believing in yourself. Look at where you are today, man. We're casually sure. talking sure. about sure. you being drafted back into the race and racing again tomorrow in the world to it's unbelievable keep doing keep doing you scarbo and keep being you and that's amazing man you're inspiring I so will. many people i will thanks so much thanks so much for Thank that you. and uh, thanks for everything <laughs> there we go scarbo gramay it's always interesting for me david when i have friends on who i know really well you know and then you have to interview them and put on this professional voice and um, but I always learn something new and I always enjoy chatting to Scarbon. It's always an in inspiration for me, um, to me.
How did always, you find that? Well, it's always interesting to me that you have friends, mate, but um, that's a different discussion. It's literally <laughs> why I bring them on to you, the three I have. I think we, uh, I think that's, we had, we had Max now. That was the yeah, last yeah, one to prove to you that I have three friends. No, no. Um, look, I love that chat. Um, we were talking a little bit after the chat uh, and I was saying like, uh, I just, uh, I'm starting to miss Africa a lot personally, having grown up in South Africa and um yeah, it was just really great talking with Skabu and, and hearing his story and, and hearing his perspective on things. And I think um, I'm hoping listeners got a lot out of that and, and have a bit of a different perspective on cycling, particularly because, uh, you know, as a sport, uh, cycling is very European dominant. And so uh, it's cool to hear his story and how he fits into it. And um, the stuff around his homesickness really hit home to me. Like it, it's stuff I've dealt with, not personally so much as, as much as with athletes that I've dealt with in different, being taken out of their cultures. And I think, we need to do a lot better. And if we want um, any sort of diversity in pro pelotons or anything like this, we need to make people feel a lot more comfortable and, and less fitting into conforming whatever our culture is and, and more creating a, a, a shared culture, I think. Yeah, I mean, the team he was referring to that he turned professional with the African team, MT in Quebec, and mentioning that that's where we met. I was the communication manager of the team and we wanted to come from Africa and become the first African team to go to the Tour de France, which subsequently happened. But those first couple of years was a struggle. You know, the prejudices that the riders faced, you know, um, athletes in Europe automatically thinking that I won't sit on this guy's wheel. This guy comes from Africa. He's not used to being in the pro peloton, so it's a dangerous wheel to follow. Um, all those kind of things. That's why I'm so proud of him that he's still yeah, 11 years later, racing at the highest level, opening the door for other Ethiopian riders who are coming through now. Um, the challenges that the likes of him, Marawi Kudus, Daniel Tiklahemanot, um, have gone through. You know, you see a, a rider like Biniam Gromay now becoming the first African, black African rider to win at the highest level, win a stage of the Giro d'Italia last year, again, Wavel game. I firmly believe this year he's going to become the first black African rider to win a stage of the Tour de France. He's benefiting from those guys that went ahead of him. They faced those challenges. They opened the doors. They broke down barriers. Um, and it's an incredible amount of work that they've done. And hopefully we'll have a lot more guys and girls coming through now and benefiting from those that have gone ahead of them. I think, uh, you know, I asked a little bit about uh, Kenya versus Uganda versus Ethiopia and development of, of riders. Because, look, I know personally some, and, and I know, you know, by other people that there is a lot of work going into trying to develop, a, you know, a bunch of Kenyan riders. And, and Scarby's point around, hey, running and cycling are not the same. There are skills to develop. It's, he's 100% correct but the physiology is pretty similar uh, and there is no reason we shouldn't see Kenyan riders aside from culturally, it's not there for them uh, and they have no role models and they have no pathway. Whereas people can look to people like Skabu, you know, people from Ethiopia can look to people like Skabu and get advice and get help and get, how do I do it and get the pathway and all those things. Right. So um, it's also, if you're taking bets, you bet on the culture where there's already been success. Uh, so people are probably going to invest disproportionately in Ethiopia and then, you know, there's a, how did Scarby starts? Because he started a bike like that. Mm. That's such a, you know, there's this, the butterfly effect, right? His dad gets a bike and now Scarby's a professional cyclist like that. That's insane to think about. And I think essentially that's what he was saying. He was saying running is so successful because it's so easily accessible and you're already running before you even know that you're running because you're running to go get water. Um, cycling needs more intentional 
development because there's so much more to it. It's a technical sport. There's a lot more equipment involved. Um, you know, the roads are, you're going a lot faster on a narrower road in Europe than you used to on a big wide open road in, in, in Africa. Um, and that development isn't there to, to the extent that it is there for, for, for running. And that's what he was saying is it's, it has a lot more parameters to its cycling. So therefore for it to be successful, it needs a lot more intentional support and, and development. And yeah. then I think to your point, yeah, the physi physiology is there. It's the same. And you can see yeah, athletes coming through. Yeah. It was cool to hear that he's running and doing plyometrics. Uh, I'm stoked to hear that. I think that's, I mean, look, it's super cool. Um, many, many runners cycle a little bit. I think there's probably a little bit of crossover. It's a little bit different. Obviously the risk profiles are different because the tendons of cyclists don't really do anything. Uh, so you've got to be careful starting up, but I think for health, uh, you know, for his long-term health and for everybody's long-term health, that bone loading is so important. I think, um, without it, we're almost negligent for cyclists in terms of their, um, their, their health long-term, you know, we're not going to be talking about it for a little while, but I, I've got a feeling in 10, 20, maybe 50 years, this will be a discussion around like we should have done more bone loading for these guys because they're, you know, they've got low bone roll density. It's a real risk for them, for their ongoing health and life. I've been seeing it a lot more pro cyclists running at training camps in Calpe this year. People like Vaud Van Aert, you know, the best riders in the world. I saw him running 5Ks, 7Ks, 8Ks on Strava. Um, I have a friend at one of the teams who's the marketing manager who went chasing Vaud's King of the Mountain runs and almost killed himself <laughs> trying to beat uh, some of those times in Calpe. So we're seeing it more and more, which is interesting. It's not something I would expect at this part of the season, January, February, where you're starting your races. I would it's more traditional in the off season in October, November, when guys take four weeks off in those four weeks, six weeks off the bike, they would run a bit to, to maintain the fitness. And now you're seeing it like in the new year as the season starting guys are still running, which is, yeah, I'd love to talk to some guys at the team and, and find out why that is. Yeah. I what guess we talked a little bit to Bobby about it, right? We talked in the Bobby Ulich episode about that exact thing. Uh, some of these hybrid athletes coming in, but also the, the, you know, the prevalence of people running a bit now. And obviously uh, Freddie Ovette, uh you know ran berlin uh so it's cool it's cool to see i'm a big fan what were your takeaways um when he was talking about pasta and rice and how it kept him stable and then he found out something like an apple really rushed his glucose yeah i mean this speaks to the power of cgm right which is uh i'm uh, i wouldn't say i'm the opposite of that but i probably respond a lot more uh, or i have a higher glycemic response to pasta and rice than than he does whereas his fruit sounds like it's the thing that sets him off. So it's cool to see that he's worked with his nutritionist. They've worked out what, you know, they've looked at super sapiens and gone like, Hey, actually this is what you need to be doing. And now he's eating more carbohydrate, losing weight, pushing higher power numbers. Like that's unheard of to have that sort of changes in terms of body composition, as well as nutritional composition and then uh, performance. Like that's the trifecta. Like if you offered that to most cyclists, they would grab it with both hands and run. Right. That's uh that's really cool to hear that he's getting those benefits. Um, an increase in carb intake, which is, yeah, he was talking about five, six years ago, you know, in the peloton, they just weren't take, they were taking 60 grams of carbs an hour. And now it's, he's, he's taking a hundred to 120. Um, do you think that would literally equal to more power on the bike? Well, I think it like at some level you're limited by higher, um, higher intensity fuel supply, right? And and that just helps with that. I think it's interesting to look at how much of a copycat 
world we live in sport is a copycat thing we copy yeah. across sports we copy within a sport everyone's oh they're doing that we'll do that now uh and so that's interesting to see but also uh it's you know there's not a lot of research supporting 120 grams an hour but i don't think you'll find many that aren't trying to push towards that level now as a baseline so we generally see that practitioners are often a little bit ahead of where the research is at um, and the research is informed by practitioners and by and a little bit vice versa but but more so that you know when you're on the cutting edge of sport trying to find one percent you'll try things that and and see a benefit empirically before it's really proven by science i have a question for you um we were talking about cycling and being a very technical sport and and running versus running um there's probably a lot more skill involved in running than people might be led to believe well it depends on how you think about skill um most people just think running is running but running in itself is a skill you learn it granted you learn it when you're young but you learn how to run right like running is a thing and then it's there are tactical aspects to both sports so you know sitting on people's wheels passing these sort of things when to go on a breakaway kills descending all those things and they all exist in running as well depending on what race you're running obviously when you get to things like trail running there's a lot of discussion around technical aspects right but in road running there isn't but there is a, definitely a way to run up hills and down hills and all these things right and you see this in certain races boston marathon versus something like london where it's a lot flatter so there is definitely um, skill components taking nutrition as a physiological act as in the ability to ingest it but also the ability to grab a cup and not wear it right not wear everything in that cup then how do you drink from it? How do you take your nutrition? How do you carry your nutrition? How do you do all that stuff? What layers you eat? This is all skills that you get used to. When to, do you go with that pack or is that too fast? How do you make those tactical decisions? These are all skills that develop. Tactics are skills. Um, so I think we undersell what a skill is and the skill of, you know, pacing is a skill in both sports, right? And so, you know, there's no more skill in cycling because everyone just rides to a power meter, but that's a different discussion. <laughs> yeah that is a whole new discussion i think we should probably end it there because we'll be another year for another hour um but yeah that was scarbo gromay ethiopia's very first professional cyclist hope you enjoyed that interview david thanks so much um for all the listeners if you'd like to get in touch with us please email david at supersapiens.com um any questions you might have you can also hop onto the super sapiens discord channel we would love to hear from you thank you for this episode david Really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Appreciate you organizing. <laughs>